Welcome to the Conflict Tipping Podcast with Dr. Laura May. Hello and welcome to the Conflict Tipping Podcast from Mediate.com, the podcast that explores social conflict and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Laura May, and today I have with me Adrian Wagner, Research Fellow at the European School of Governance in the fairytale-esque Black Forest, PhD researcher looking into collective trauma integration, and who describes himself as occasionally trespassing into the wild fields of art. So welcome, Adrian. Yeah, thank you very much, Laura. Great to see you. And I'm very glad to be here with you on this podcast. I am very happy to have you here. Now, for those who are listening, I actually met Adrian, we just realized it was seven years ago, which has made us feel both unnecessarily old, because we were doing a European Council meeting, which is the Europe nerd version of the Model UN. And so it's probably no surprise, being the nerds that we apparently are, that we both ended up in doctoral programs. So then speaking of your PhD, what actually is it about? Like, what led you to research collective trauma? Good question. So basically, I think to answer the question, I would go a long time back, which is basically to my civil service that I did when I was around 20. And it was in using culture center. And we had a lot of, you know, lectures and workshops around Israel politics in the current times, but also the German Jewish interaction, of course. And back then that was the first time I heard about the, you know, the, the collective wound, so to speak, or trauma. Did a seminar with Gita Sereni. She doesn't live anymore. She did an interview with Albert Speer, which was the architect, you know, of Hitler. That was quite impressive to meet that lady who interviewed one of those big, big Nazis, so to speak. And I decided to go because of all those conflicting perspectives from the past and from the present, I decided to go on a journey through the Middle East. And since then, and especially because of that trip, I realized how conflicts in our, first of all, not simple, black and white. And at the same time, how easy it is to view them as black and white or to get torn on one side or the other. And the underlying topic for me seemed to be very clear that there is something like a collective wounding or collective trauma on a smaller scale in families, but also on a larger scale in cultures or nations. And I explored that topic. I met Thomas Hubel and his wife, who is an Israeli artist, on a conference. Back then, even there was even Vamik Volkan, who researched collective trauma as one of the first researchers. And, you know, that's how it carried on in a way. And at some points in my life, you know, I wasn't focused on it. At some points, I let it go because I thought like, well, this is just too much, you know, like it is, it, it's, it's a bit too much. Like I focus on my personal stuff. I focus on my career, but it keeps coming back and it kept coming back. And at a certain point, that was the pocket project founded by Thomas Hubel, who is in a way, I would say like a spiritual teacher, but also working with group processes, a lot of shadow work, like Gestalt therapy. And he started with his wife, the pocket project, which was around collective trauma integration. And then they even started a PhD program, the Academy of Inner Science, where they wanted to research topics like that. And I thought like, well, that's what I always dreamed about to be happening, being flexible on my own and doing research on this weird intersection of collective trauma, meditation, as well as democracy or politics. And yeah, that's where I jumped into the program and I said, let's research collective trauma integration through the pocket project. And here I am four years later, but still going. Yeah. It's the, the story of PhDs, right? You, know, you start and then you keep going until it's done. 
So what kinds of collective traumas are we talking about? Because you've mentioned one already as far as, you know, Germany and Israel. Yeah. So basically the first question that we would need to be clarifying is what is collective trauma, of course, right? And to a certain extent, we could go into definitions later because that's a bit the struggle also of the PhD in the scientific work uh, to pinpoint that. But as a metaphor, I think it works very well to explain a lot of the stuff that is coming up in recent times, starting from the whole idea of patriarchy is connected deeply to collective trauma. The whole idea, like colonization, like if you have colonization going on for two, three hundred years, I mean, that creates a certain culture. And we are all born in certain cultures. And I think if you look back into history with an open mind, you discover major events. I think our whole history is written by winners who defeated somebody, right? So in a certain way, especially in Europe, and especially for the German context, it's pretty clear, I think, if you look at the First World War, at the Second World War. But I think you probably could go back even until the 30-year war and you still discover some of those scars in the social tissue or the cultural tissue, so to speak. And it's kind of like a messy work to differentiate what is what, because trauma has become, I think, quite popular as a term. So you really need to be careful from what position you look at it. But I think when, when it comes to the Pocket Project, they did a lot of great online trainings where they bring people together from different cultural backgrounds, also within one cultural background, and then really ask that question. So what, how would we look into our culture? What are the blind spots? What are the shadows? What are the aspects we get heated talking about, right? And in a certain way, how Thomas Hubel describes it, usually the things that you don't see, but that affect our culture and our interactions, the things that are usually not on the table. That's where the real stuff happens, right? I mean, that's where we don't want to look at. And of course, for a long time, that was slavery. That was colonialization. To some extent, I think that still is it. And I mean, he calls that the dark lake, like the parts of the culture where we don't want to go or where the narratives somehow don't really fit or somehow break apart. They're fragmented. As you're saying this, it's actually making me think about Carl Jung, right? And this idea of a shadow self as the, the self we have to embrace to move forward. I mean, I say that as someone who's not very pro-Carl Jung, but this is a similar idea in some ways, right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, Carl Jung is an interesting case, but I mean, there is something that he framed as the collective unconscious as well. That's true. Mm -hmm. Carl Jung is, of course, if you look from a scientific perspective, a bit problematic <laughs> or at least... At least <laughs> I would say there's stuff out there or, or terms that he, that he coined. So in that sense, yes. But of course, definitely from a scientific perspective, I would say there, there are other people that moved similar idea into the open. Like recently, Sharma, Peter Singer, they talk about generative social fields, for example. And I think if you look at why we don't have generative social fields, I think a big part of it is that we're engaging in certain patterns or in certain agreements, like to hold back what we don't want to feel or that what we don't want to feel in public. I actually just want to take it back for a moment because earlier you were talking about this idea of cultural trauma. You know, you mentioned going back to the 30 years war and so on. But what I want to know is, do we have any evidence or suggestion that cultures do get over these traumas or do they change in some way? Because it seems to me that if cultures are just gathering traumas over time, that eventually will be sort of 
paralyzed in some way or super conflictual? I mean, how do we get over these things? I guess that's the easiest question in that whole discourse, right? So first of all, my research journey, what came up for me was first the question, okay, collective trauma seems to make a lot of sense, you know, like a lot of people killing each other. So you have a lot of trauma. Now, if you look at the research, it's like an intersection of different perspectives. Yeah. So if you have a psychological perspective, trauma is very clearly defined as something that is life-threatening, that is a process. But even within psychology, who borrowed the term trauma, which basically means in Greek wound, even psychology took that from medicine. So when it comes to psychology, there's this whole evolution of what trauma is. And in a certain way, like there are certain streams that take the term trauma from a psychological sense and apply it to societies. You know, you have this whole idea on collective processing of mass individual traumas, or you have transgenerational, multi-generational traumas, you have mass traumatization. So those are all terms that come more from the field that look from the individual to the collective. What you miss out or what the danger is there is that often we simplify the sociological and more systemic aspects. So we look at society more as we look at individuals and that doesn't work well. So on the other hand, Alexander, he defines cultural trauma as a process, which is a group, which does not need to be directly affected by traumatic events, but that perceives the trauma as relevant because of a specific cultural and historical process. So he argues that this process permanently changes the identity of the group, even if you don't have experienced the trauma of slavery or whatever. There are other people even talking about trauma politics and how that becomes like in uh, identity politics, a term to use and also to be misused for power. And at the same time, Vamik Volkant put out the term chosen trauma, like events that are long gone, but held alive in cultures. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, if everybody has trauma, like what, what's the point of the term, right? There, there's no sincerity left in it anymore. So yeah. So in that sense, if we want to heal collective trauma, we first need to establish, is it actually a real thing, right? And what I would say is, yes, definitely it is. And it's still very subtle if we are, because we're built into that collective, right? If you build into our collective, it's hard to see it. It's hard to heal it because we grow up with it. And uh, the definition, in my opinion, that I found so far is by Angela Kühner, She says that collective trauma is a traumatic event that has not been processed within collective memory. So as I understand it, to make these different ideas of collective trauma concrete, on the the one hand, we have this individual physiological kind of trauma, which is shared across society. So if we look at COVID, for instance, obviously it's happening now or it's been happening People are traumatized. They are dealing in different ways. We can already see changes in society as an outcome. And who knows how long this will last for, right? So that's sort of the, the one idea. And as I understand it, the second idea you've presented is related to victim self-identification. Because I know that Tammy Jacoby has done some fantastic work on this about when you identify yourself as a victim and you come together in this idea of shared victimhood or it could be shared trauma, then you can politicize that and use it to demand rights. So have I understood that correctly, these two different ideas of collective trauma? 
Yes, roughly, I would say so. Definitely. The important thing is, I guess, that if you look at collective trauma, it's not enough to just include an individual perspective or a more collective perspective. I think both don't go far enough. We need to kind of bring it together. And that leads directly to more collective memory, sense-making and narratives. And so what actually is sense-making, the way you're using it? So a sense-making process is where you try to make sense out of a situation. And it's very much, you know, constructing your own identity, right? It's retrospective. Like something happens, you lost your keys, you go out, and then you suddenly meet the love of your life. And you're saying, ah, that's why I lost my keys. So it's retrospective. (laughs) It's not connected to rationality usually, always, but it makes sense to you that you had to lose those keys. Narratives are like the way we make sense of the world, right? So Mm. tell stories and that's how we make sense. But stories are usually, I mean, that's the interesting part. They need to make sense. They don't need to be true. And that's Mm -hmm. what becomes interesting, especially also when we have unpleasant experiences. We create stories around them. And sometimes how can we integrate unpleasant experience without like getting rid of them? And that relates, of course, also then to collective trauma integration. I think those are terms specifically, I think, in a scientific context where we start to be more precise, like as a metaphor, I think collective trauma works well. You know, everybody understands that big earthquakes or autocracies in war, like all of those things create mass traumatization. I mean, that's understandable. And yet at the same time, how can we pinpoint and how can we work to integrate collective trauma? There's a lot of good studies out there that when trauma occurs in individuals, now from a psychological perspective, your sense-making of the world is damaged. Like you suddenly don't see how the world can make sense anymore. So it's fragmented. So there's also work starting how to integrate the experience and how to start making sense again of the world together with others. Because I think when you look at post-traumatic growth, you know, like Viktor Frankl, very famous one, survived the concentration camps and like, There's a part in that where he said, like, if you are able to place yourself in the context where you understand why you persecuted or why it happens, not that that you're supposed to suffer, but if you're aware why it happens and you find a certain kind of meaning and agency in it can lead to post-traumatic growth. And I think the sense-making aspect now applies not only to individuals, but that can also apply to these traumatic events that are stored in collective memory. But I guess a big difference though between an individual experiencing trauma and a collective experiencing trauma is that perhaps individuals have acceptable ways in which to grieve and to process and to see support, whereas collective groups don't so much, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the core point and that's also the work I think that with the Pocket Project, for example, would they starting to pioneer what they're starting to explore. There's a collective trauma integration process that they more from experiential data that they came up with. I think there's one thing around remembering what happened, the traditional remembering in culture. And I grew up with a lot of stories about the Holocaust and what we did back then in Germany. But it's a total difference when, when you touched emotionally. And you suddenly feel what happens. You suddenly feel there's a a healthy horror that you can experience if you really feel into 
well, that country killed 6 million Jews and many others. So I think to tap into those emotions and to hold them creates a different atmosphere. That creates a different kind of remembering and a different kind of integration of these traumatic events in our collective memory. And if you don't do that, I have the impression, or that's also some of the thesis, it affects when crises come, it affects our process, our democracies. For example, now with the Ukraine war and with the study we did, there were a lot of people that were triggered by the war and where stories came up that are related to the war. I mean, even to some extent, you could even argue how Putin sold that war is like he's fighting Nazis, right? So there is what Vamik Volkan calls like a time collapse. The recent events triggered the emotions of another time. And those emotions are so real that you perceive the events as something almost as threatening as in the past. Mm -hmm. But it's what happens is actually you collapse into the time thinking, okay, they're all Nazis now. It's almost like time traveling. So yes. in, in, in certain studies, like while we perceive time linear, we can experience time very differently. We can experience the past in the present. Especially, I guess, to people who are traumatized, right? Exactly, we, exactly. If we think of this exactly. very easy idea of a flashback, you know, whether yeah, exactly. it's emotional or visual or what have you, it's looping. Yeah. It hasn't been integrated. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what he defines as this time collapse. Mm -hmm. There's also the time release where when these moments of time collapses happen, and as you described, you have a collective space for mm -hmm. to work through it. You can release those stored threats or emotions or what has been held back, and you can end up at a very different place and a very different container to continue forward. And these kind of processes, I think, are not yet well enough established, especially on a societal level. Really curious. I want to talk about your project in a second, yeah. but the example you've given just now of flashing back and collapsing of time and specifically Putin's invasion of Ukraine versus the history of Germany um, and this idea of moving forward because I was actually catching a train across Germany from Slovakia back to Brussels about a day after the start of the invasion and so as you can imagine the trains were full of Ukrainian refugees already like they were just packed and it actually makes me really emotional every time to think about this I have to like try this out crying. But, you know, I remember being on this train and there were all these older Germans who were just on the train and trying to recall Russian from the days of East Germany, right? So they could communicate with the refugees and just asking them how to help or telling them where to go or giving them food and stuff on the train. And so it was very, like, it was a lot. <laughs> it was very touching. But it made me wonder, I mean... Maybe this is a way in which we can culturally process trauma as well. Seeing it from the other side, helping from the other side, and perhaps processing it and integrating it in a way, right? And so I don't know if that's very scientific, but it's just as you were talking about the collapsing of time and then moving forward, it made me think about this specific example. Well, actually, maybe this experience is not just about accepting Ukraine as part of Europe or as defending Europe or what have you, but also specifically in the German context, helping to move stories forward about what Germany is and what Germany will be. Yeah. And you know, there, there's a reason I think why that topic is so emotional and it's not just you. And I, and I think 
to some extent, I would even argue, again, that's also not very scientific, but we're touching here into something like we're touching into an open collective trauma, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not just the Ukrainian war. Like if you now dive into that, like maybe even the sadness that you feel here, it's the sadness of the people that need to flee Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But part of that is also the sadness of the German, you know, former DDR and the breakdown of that structure, right? It's also the sadness of the Germans before that, that need to flee. So you yes. see how nested these kind of pockets are. And I would say a lot of people, especially in Ukraine, once it happened, like they really poured out their heart. And in one way, it's interesting because it was a bit of a very different experience than before with the Syrian. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, in my opinion, having somebody like Angela Merkel suddenly just opening up the borders as a conservative politicians and if you were back then in Germany, like it was really this opening in the beginning of a heart almost, like of a collective mm -hmm. heart and saying like, we want to be somebody different. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting thing is that that goes both ways. So a lot of people, my family included as well, like my grandfather actually, he comes from Ukraine. So don't ask me what I went through when the war started and I have friends there. So it was an interesting, more phenomenological study in that sense. But a lot of Germans have this refugee experience, but as we were also perpetrators, it was never processed. So, so that border issue, that collective border issue was almost like, yeah, we really want to help, but on one level, we also don't can put enough rationality into it to manage it in a good way. Mm. Or, or th th they're kind of like these blind spots attached to it as well. Like, especially in the Syrian crisis, you felt that very strong. And the backlash, of course, was then where that people closed down very strongly or they were afraid. And then you had the uprise of the right-wing parties, party, the a AFD. So those dynamics in a certain way, I would argue, and that's the thesis I'm, I'm holding, is suddenly politics are very emotional mm -hmm. and politics are not that rational as we perceive them. They're often. not rational at all. Yeah, they're not rational at all. I mean, you know that by now with the Trump era, right? But yeah. if you look always a little bit deeper under the polarization or under the crisis that is happening, you discover, well, there has been something that has been overlooked and there have been people that were in need. For example, like why did Trump emerge in the US? I, I think a lot of those more poor white people and the opioid crisis was, was not taken well enough into account. And, and of course, that's not an excuse, but you see that there is an underlying pattern that's suddenly, you know, like you get these reactions and you think like, what is this coming from? And if you look deeper, I think it has a lot to do with this kind of like the traumatization, the collective traumatization of our societies. And I'm not saying that that's new. I'm just saying now, since we have the scientific rigorosity and we have also the plurality and the wealth that we have in those days, I think we live in the best times ever. But that brings all that stuff up. You know, we yeah. only now have time to think about it and to some extent to feel into it. And if you don't deal with it, then conflicts recreate themselves in different settings, in different times. But there are certain things where you end up with these kind of blind spots in the political area that I think could be integrated if we would have more collective mourning spaces or collective integration spaces. So to take this back again for a moment then, yeah. just at the individual level, right? So thinking about analog between individual and collective, 
Because, you know, you save someone, they decide they will go to a therapist, right? They've had a horrible breakup or I don't know, they're an alcoholic or whatever it is. They've got some kind of issue and they go to the therapist and the therapist's like, all right, well, that's bad, but let's talk about your childhood, right? Because it's all about getting to the idea of root causes that lead us to think and feel and act in particular ways. And then we have this compulsory repetition of the conflicts from, from growing up that we keep doing over and over again. They might be expressed in poor relational skills. They might be existing in substance abuses and what have you. And so that's what I'm hearing you saying now about collective traumas. It's like, yes, well, we have this particular crisis right now. But there's this underlying personality or childhood or longer memory, which is actually leading to all of these things or is leading to us being unable to deal with them in sort of a, a healthy way, if you will. Yeah, of course. Of course, the individual therapy is probably more complex in a certain way. But the idea, I think, is totally right. Yes. And with the pocket project and the work that has been done there, I would even go so far that like the major crisis of climate change, it's not an environmental crisis. It's a relationship problem, right? It's our relationship with nature. So <laughs> with mother nature. So in that sense, let's talk about mother issues. I mean, sounds, funny. sounds a bit, sounds a bit silly, right? But, but there but is, it doesn't though. but, but there is something in that where like with modernity, we moved into a place where we suddenly realized, okay, it's not only progress and from here ahead. And that's where like we had the second world war and all those kind of things. And suddenly we had post-modernity coming, criticizing all the power struggle, realizing it and there's a lot of fragmentation happening and a lot of like, we are actually in this space where we don't know and we are criticizing and deconstructing. But at the same time, do we really go to the road where there is something like healing or reconciliation happening? And I think for that, just talking about it is probably not enough. I think we need to include the knowledge, the emotional experience, as well as the knowledge of the body. And mm -hmm. to fully integrate and to fully move into these kind of spaces and do the work that we need to do. And there's a whole scale of issues. And to some extent, I guess that's what we tried or what we experimented in, in that, yeah, in that event that we did the research on. Yes. So let's talk about that because you produced a report, which is called Overcoming Polarization in Crises. And I think we've established that this does relate to your doctoral research as well. Definitely. And I saw that your question was, does a collective trauma awareness and integration process help to strengthen democracy and overcome polarization? There's a lot of words and a lot of concepts in here. So let's break it down. I think we've covered collective trauma. So could you perhaps just reiterate what it means to integrate trauma for our listeners? Yeah. You know, fair enough. Like when it comes to integrating trauma, the way we looked at it is like, that's your story suddenly makes sense. I think that's the simplest definition. Like, are you still living in fragmented narratives that pop up and the flashbacks and you're mm -hmm. always reacting? Or do you suddenly see like, okay, something bad happened, but I moved on and I can incorporate that. And the world is not only about that or not each response has, is connected to that. So in a simple way, that's probably integration. You know, can we really feel what happened? Can we let it go? You know, can we release some of the tension? Like trauma is a very intelligent, intelligent function. Mm -hmm. It helps us to survive. It helps us to suppress something that we are not strong enough to carry. I think that's, first of all, that's the core. You know, like we often focus too much on let's get rid of trauma or bad emotions. Then saying, look, there's a reason why we don't want to feel that. So let's stay with why we don't want to feel it. 
And if you stay with that, like that's the first level, I think, of trauma integration. Then we shift a bit deeper. And if you have a group or a coherent or a good therapist that can hold a safe space, like we are step-by-step moving deeper and are enabled to hold what we have not been able to hold before or to grieve or to feel the pain that we haven't been able to feel before. And out of that, like a new kind of sense-making can happen that then helps us to move on in our life. And I think that counts for individuals, but I think we are at a time and in a time and a place where we can start engaging in that also as troops or collectives. And I think that's where the fun starts, to be honest. Like, why do we one person's trauma we can do with a whole society? And so what actually was your method for doing this to help produce the research for this report? How did you generate this collective trauma awareness? How did you help people process and integrate it? Yeah, so the main process is to call the collective trauma integration process that was experientially defined by Thomas Hubel. Like he did more meditation and self-awareness groups in Germany. And over time, he realizes all the time at a certain point, like these collective themes of the Holocaust come up. Like mm-hmm. it transgenerational, like through the family history, how that affects you, or it just erupted in the groups. So he started to look into that and to research that more experientially in his groups. And what he realized and what he so far developed now is that it's mainly about a meta-reflection and a slowing down within a group where you start to become aware that a lot of things are in our subconsciousness. Like if you move in with that, not to try to get to somewhere, but you first enter into space, like you build resource, you move into a bit more of a slower mindfulness kind of like space. And then it's different exercises, like perception exercises, like a guided writing experience. Like what is my relationship to Russia right now? And you just write what comes to your mind. You know, like the subconsciousness is doing the work itself. If you let it, there's also like, you know, like there were triads where three people would meet in a breakout session and share their experience. There's a lot of focus on while I'm speaking, I noticing my body, I noticing how I feel. So I'm trying not to cut myself off from something, but to stay in the presence of my emotions, of my body. And there's a lot of one-on-one work that Thomas did with participants. And I think often like what I noticed in my research is there are certain sentences that people will say and they just go over it. And he would bring them back and say, look, there was an important sentence. Could you repeat that one just slowly? And people would say that I feel so anxious when I'm around my grandmother and I don't know why. And suddenly it drops in and and something comes up just as an example. And if you do that work and you're related, there's even not only like a resonance with a person, but with a whole group. So the whole group actually feels suddenly, okay, there's some information stored that affects us or that, that moves us a step further in that journey. Like, I mean, in one very powerful process, like that we did in Germany, there was an Israeli living for a long time. And in that process, like he was actually quite okay to talk about the Holocaust and all of these kind of things. But in that session, like he landed at a place and discovered like that wound, that wounding 
and he spoke from there and you could see how that almost created like more space for the whole group mm -hmm. like how almost something was relieved not just from him but from the collective you know there's something like it's, it's very difficult to describe but if you experience it it's yeah moments of resonance emotional release coherence i mean we had 16 people that were trained that were kind of like observing the process and writing down certain codes like strong emotions or resonance or time collapse so that at the end we could look okay where are five or six people saying here was emotional release happening that was one research method we used and then we collected basically narratives you know so we just asked people how do you feel in these times with this crisis what story would you as a citizen tell a good friend and then basically that really helped us to see what were people talking before and how people would talk afterwards or what kind of narratives they would share so we basically said look if trauma is related to sense making as well as politics politics is always it's not fact based often it's also a certain sense making right like you look at politics if you would have fact based politics it would look very different but politics cannot be fact-based, only fact-based, because you're entering complexity, a complex domain. And in a complex domain, you need to make sense because not all the facts are known. So that is the same with democracy. It's the same with individual trauma, and it's the same with history. So here, when it comes to sense-making, we have something where we can look at people's narratives and we see like, okay, what are the tendencies? So they would rate those narratives through the SenseMaker software by the Kinefin Center, like Dave Snowden, big complexity expert. There's little research tools out there that show, you know, 640 micro narratives, and you can basically see in what polarity people place themselves, right? So that's something to look up in the report. And through that, we discovered, yeah, while before people would much more be out there with the crises or with democracy, Afterwards, people would be much more in contact. They would share much more narratives that actually said like, look, democracy is actually not just institutions, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. Or stories like before, when it came to the pandemic policies, like one woman before wrote like, oh, I'm so confused and not sure where to inform myself. And it puts a lot of pressure into me. And afterwards she said, wow, I realized that that confusion is actually related very early on in my childhood because my dad was not around. And I tried in the Corona time to deal with that confusion through my intellect. But actually I need to kind of like be in contact with that confusion. That's much more helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you see how people in these times of crisis suddenly get triggered with old experiences subconsciously and how that affects directly democracy and how that actually can be used. We could clearly see that at the end, people were much more responsive, like to the idea of democratic engagement, for example. And so if you could cast a magic spell, right, and suddenly, miraculously, all of this collective trauma from whatever society, let's say Germany, is removed, how do you think democracy would look different? Yeah, that, that's, 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 <laughs> that's a question. But actually, the answer is that when we talk about collective trauma, a lot of people think like, wow, all this suffering and all this pain and all of this. So the beauty, I think, and that's what I feel when these kind of moments of integration happening also in, in bigger groups is 
there's so much potential and there's so much joy. So what I would see is like a flourishing, like not even Germany, a flourishing Europe, you know, where we really come together to deal with not just climate change, but where we really start living and exploring world culture together. I think like moving into globalization and moving into more of like a humanity that comes together. I think that's a big part where when we really look into these deep you know, historical pains that we share, once we go through that, I think we are capable of so much more on that planet. And we probably then also be able to regenerate a lot of the things we already have damaged when it comes to nature and stuff like that. So I think healing collective trauma gives us actually the energy to deal with the crises that we are currently facing. And the sooner we look into it, I think the less crises we need and we actually can start building more flourishing futures. Wonderful and aspirational. If you could give one recommendation to our listeners today as individuals who are experiencing collective trauma or as practitioners and mediators that will be working with people that deal with collective trauma, what would that recommendation be? Yeah, very easy question. I'm just thinking of this is the hardest question ever, I think. I think I've been meaner to you than any other guest I've had so far. It's <laughs> good, I like um, like a practice PhD defense. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, pr probably, of course, I, I could play that safe and say, look into the research, read our report, like get yourself going with all the knowledge that is out there, familiarize yourself with it. But on a deeper level, I think really, really look into and feel into your ancestral lineages. I think that's the one thing that I would give out as the one advice, like connect Connect actually to the strength that you have in your own lineage and try to feel into that as, as deep as possible, maybe together with others. Because in my experience, like the intergenerational aspect is where collective trauma starts and where there's actually also a lot of research out there. And it's, it's a fantastic experience, like to feel that you have this whole stream behind you. You have this whole stream, like there are actually people that came before you that suffered all these atrocities and they still survive. And if they wouldn't have made it, you wouldn't be there. And if that stream of life is felt, if you realize that that stream of life actually goes all the way back, I think that's already a lot. That would be the not so scientific answer probably. Like, of course, there have been bad behavior done by generations before us. And often we don't want to look at into that as well, especially if those people have been close to us, right? Like my grandfather, he went to the war. And I think the paradox here and the beauty here is as well to hold what was not right as what was not right. Because that, first of all, frees me from my own guilt of not looking at it. And at the same time, like there is a stream, even a stream of life like that flows through that I'm still connected to and that I can stand in. And that gives me more strength to carry on with whatever I want to do in this world. Sorry, I'm getting mean again. Because as you're saying this, it makes me think that you come from a reasonably secure and probably privileged background because not everyone will have that experience of a stream of love, as you put it, whether it's because, for example, they're in a country where there's no birth control or they're like an unwanted child or they were rejected as a child or abandoned, what have you. And so, so first, first of all, yes, yes, I, I, I can, I can absolutely hear that. And I would say, you know, like I would counter that with, 
the idea that we are so individual as we are is actually quite a Western concept. And of course, I understand the critic here. The core idea of it is you're built into a web of life that goes back and that goes forward, maybe. And I think we lost that to some extent in our very individualized countries. And, and that's part, I think, of the problem as well. It, of course, doesn't stop with genetic families, so to speak. I think we are up to building much broader communities and ideally we're building like global communities. And at the same time, I think a lot of the trauma and a lot of the pain is produced in the smallest unit or passed on if you want it or not. Like what you said earlier, if my mom got me, but actually she didn't want to have me, it's something I maybe have to deal with all my life long and have to come to terms with it, right? There's a process of sense-making if I want or not, that needs to happen. I'm not saying you have to love them. Like, it's more of like, how do you stay in a connection and hold what was wrong and still stay in a resonance and in a connection? So that, and of course, that's the non-so-scientific and probably more personal answer to that question. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Adrian. And so for those who are interested in learning more about your work, where can they find you? Yeah, definitely on LinkedIn, Adrian Wagner. LinkedIn is the best way to meet up. I also want to mention the Pocket Project website that does this great and fantastic work. So you can find more information there as well and download the report. And also want to mention More Democracy, the NGO that we did that work together in Germany, which is also interesting. And it's more for German audiences maybe, but they also have some English stuff out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And until next time, this is Laura May with the Conflict Tipping Podcast from Mediate.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com products and services, please visit us at www.mediate.com.